When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? It is Ricky LeBlue, the associate editor and full-time Virginia Tech football beat writer for TechSideline.com. We are here back and better than ever, as usual, with another full episode of the TSL podcast. As always, I'm joined by my host here as well and the analysts and the, the guys that make TSL run. Will Stewart, the founder of TSL. Chris Coleman, the managing editor of TSL. Chris, how are we doing today, man? Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. The weather's kind of kind of gloomy today. Well, it's November. Yeah, it's a well. It's finally kind of November weather. We it's been seventy well, seventy five. I wore shorts 80. the last couple of days. Yeah, yeah. But but now That's I feel it. like I feel like this week it's going to be a little a little cooler over here in the NRV. Will, how are we doing? Uh, doing pretty good. You doing all right? <laughs> yeah, got nothing I can really add to that. <laughs> all right, uh, I do want to go ahead and, and spend some time on this Miami game, and I want to spend. A little bit more time on the Miami game that we would normally spend on a game that we are recapping a game that's already been played. This game, obviously, Tech had a really big opportunity here. There's, there, there's no, you know, there, that's just what it is. Uh, Tech had a chance to put themselves in the driver's seat for the ACC Coastal. They had a chance to solidify their spot as maybe a dark horse college football playoff contender if they're able to beat the the winner of the Atlantic, which right now looks like to be Clemson. And uh, they just didn't do it. <laughs> Tech did not knock all, not look all that great. Uh, Tech lost twenty eight to ten. Uh, they turned the ball over four times, as we'll talk about a little bit later in the over under section. Um, Will your overall impressions from that Miami game? You know, I said a lot in my Monday thoughts article, but one thing I didn't say simply because I was at like I don't know three thousand thirty five hundred. Which words. seems to be the where you normally are. You know. Um, Miami came, it was one of those special nights for Miami. They were on uh, Saturday prime time. They had a chance to lock up the Coastal, pretty much lock up the Coastal Division. Virginia is still mathematically in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Hoos are technically still in the Coastal race, but I think we would all at this point consider Miami to be the Coastal champs. Yeah. Um, You know, they had a chance to eliminate Virginia Tech. It was a it was a special evening for them. Uh, Things had been building with their program. They were coming under a lot of criticism. People saying, "Yeah, they're seven and zero, and they've won twelve in a row, but they're not that good." You know, including yours truly. Um, And but Miami, things seemed to coalesce for them, and they came into that into that game with a certain amount of energy. Um, The fan base was really good. The fan base showed out. The stadium was. Yeah, I, I figured it'd be a typical full. Miami game yeah. with the upper deck mostly empty, but no, they Definitely actually – So things were really building for them, and they brought a certain level of intensity to it. And Virginia Tech didn't match that intensity. Um, yes, you can game plan all you want to and talk about the breaks and luck and the calls and all that stuff, but one of the first things you have to do as a football team is you've got to match the intensity of that other team. And I think that's where some criticism of the offensive game plan is is somewhat fair because if you look at Virginia Tech early in the game, their offensive game plan, it was kind of play it safe, run up the middle a little bit. We don't really trust our receivers against their defensive backs. So let's kind of let's kind of take it easy and take the safe route. Eh, you know. Didn't really work. No, let, let's go out and attack and let's go after them. And I know that's easy for me to say. They could have gone out and turned it over three times in the first three possessions by, you know, foolishly chucking it into double coverage or something like that. Which Malik Rozier did a couple times, and he came away with, with three interceptions, I believe, right? Malik three Rozier interceptions, three, so like picks. three straight Miami possessions. Right? Yeah. yeah, but, you know, you got you to gotta, when, – when you're in the trenches like that, you as a coaching staff, when you game plan and you think about these things, you have to send the message to your guys – we're not going to sit back and wait for the other team to, to make a mistake. We're not going to try not to make mistakes. We're going to go at it, you know, man on man and, and, and go after it and see what happens. And Miami's first drive, they threw two uh, passes to their quarterback. Yeah, they, now, they, they about, now, kicked to, into trick plays right off the bat. Now, now, to be fair, 
One of them almost ended in a, in a disaster. The one by the goal line almost tipped into Brandon Faison's hands. And if it had, Virginia Tech would have returned that 98 yards for a touchdown. Yeah. So, I mean, and that would have changed the entire and, and in hindsight, of the game. We'd be sitting here talking, man, Miami was stupid. They were driving down the field. You're going to call the second pass to your quarterback on the same drive? You know, that's just not not smart. Uh, so, uh, it's I agree in theory. But I think we also saw in the third and fourth quarter that exactly what would hap- what happens to this Virginia Tech offense when they do open up the offense and and get in d- true drop back passing situations. Uh, they don't have the offensive line to protect with Nijman out, and they don't have the wide receivers to get separation against physical, experienced defensive back. Yeah, so I'm not exactly sure what I'm suggesting they should have done right. differently. You know, it's yeah. just that you, you, you can – I think the energy level is different. I, I think I, – I, Will and I watched this game in downtown Blacksburg, and on Miami's first drive, I, I walked over to where Will was sitting, and I said, they're more ready than we are. They're more physical on that play when Braxton Berrios just buried Mook Reynolds into the turf on Miami's long running play on that drive. I mean, he just crushed Mook. And I was not expecting that kind of physical play out of Miami because they hadn't been that physical all year. And when that play happened, I walked over to Will and I said, we're not ready. And sure enough. When I was, you know, obviously we all picked Tech to beat Miami last week. And as soon as I made that prediction, I was very um, I was very shaky in that prediction. I did not. And actually, by the time we got to or by the time I got to Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, which was a great trip, and I, I thank you guys for letting me go. Um, I actually told myself Tech's probably not going to win this game. If I had to re-pick this game, I think I would pick the Canes. And I, I went into this game thinking that one question will be answered. One of these teams is going to get exposed. Either Miami is going to get exposed for being a fraud, being being undefeated, and, and, and not having played anybody, and they're going to play a good Tech team, and they're going to get exposed. Mm-hmm. Or B... Virginia Tech is going to get exposed because the only team that's good that they've beaten all year that's, you know, a somewhat top five, top 25 team is West Virginia. And they don't have the talent at, at the positions necessary in order to win these kinds of games. And it ended up being the the latter where Tech got exposed. And, and to me, that was kind of the takeaway from this game is that Tech was, you know, kind of, with it, not kind of, they were overinflated in terms of ranking. They were 13th in the country. I think all three of us would agree that at no point this that this year did we think Tech was a top fifteen team. They sure they didn't have the feel of a top fifteen team. Uh, they didn't play like it. They didn't look like it. They didn't play like it. They didn't look like it. I think they did against West Virginia. Uh, Other than that, right? But it, see, that's the thing is that West Virginia has beaten one ranked team this year. Well, and it was Iowa State. Well, here's here's the thing. Any anybody in in that area, uh, unless it really comes down to matchups and field position and turnovers for most teams after those elite teams, for the most part. Uh, and, I, and I think Virginia Tech, I think they could have beaten Miami, but they everything had to go right. You know, they had to not turn the ball over at all, and they had to take advantage of all their opportunities. Uh, you know, here's the thing. I, I think some weeks teams look like they're top 15 teams, and, and, and some weeks they don't. Um, when Virginia Tech played North Carolina and when Miami played North Carolina, which one of those teams look like a top 15 team? Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I just think it, it, unless you're one of the elite, it varies on from a week-to-week basis. I mean, look what happened to Ohio State this past week. Yeah, and even the elite can sometimes not show up. Who would have thought? In case, you don't know, in case you don't know, Iowa beat Ohio State 55-24. to 24, Yeah, is that they beat right? him by 31 Crushed points. Him. Just a dominating performance. I think they're the first team to be um, a underdog by 20 or more points and then go on to win the game by 30 or more. Yeah, that was a 52-point swing between the spread that and the That was an absolute, absolute disaster for Ohio State. Well, one of the most telling quotes, and Chris, you touched on it, from after this game was when Justin Fuente talked about how we've made our living not getting into those pure drop-back situations. And, and that's how this offense has been able to run. And when Virginia Tech had to get into those situations, especially in the second half when they started to get down by two scores, three scores, it became very, very evident that this offense has a long way to go in terms of being able to do several things and not have to rely solely on the whole misdirection thing. Yeah, you know, they struggled to get separation in the passing game. And a couple of times in the second half when they did actually get separation, they dropped the football. So it was, a, it was uh, several drops. Yeah, yeah, including two in a row, both on, and when Virginia Tech was driving, and they both would have been first downs. Uh, you know, 
poor Parker Osterloh finally getting to play as a senior, finally healthy to a certain extent, and the poor guy's got to play out of position. He should not be playing yeah. left tackle. Yeah, agreed. Uh, um, I, I, I remember in the past, back when we were allowed to go to scrimmages and things like that, he was playing right tackle and right guard, and it was pretty obvious as a right tackle that he just didn't have the feet to handle a speed rush on the outside, and that's at right tackle. Um, personally, now I can't see these guys practicing every week, but I know from a pure athletic ability, I, 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 I would not put Australo over there, um, especially not – now that ja- now that Jackson's hurt, Jackson's in a walking boot and everything like that. What's the option, Tyrell Smith? Uh, you can move Tyrell Smith over there. If if Tyrell's healthy, you could also move. I believe it would be T.J. Jackson. T.J. Jackson's an option. A, yes, yes. T.J. Jackson w- would be an option. Uh, you know, those guys are more physically capable of blocking over there than Osterloh. But, but they probably don't have the the just overall maturity and, and experience that Osterloh would have. Because even though Osterloh made his first career start versus Miami, he's played in 20-odd games. Yeah, but... but so, so he's going to yeah, have most more of those experience games than have those been, guys. But most of the time he's played, it's been extra point blocking. You know, he's blocking on the extra point team. I mean, that doesn't even really count as playing time as far as offense goes. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't have to hold your block for four seconds like you do at left tackle. Um I personally would trust Tyrell Smith over there as far as pass blocking is is concerned. I don't know how Tyrell would do as a run blocker, but you know Tyrell was going to win the starting right tackle position until he got hurt. Now, if he's healthy now, I would give him a look over there. I don't know that it'll matter this week because Georgia Tech doesn't have a, a big speed rusher or speed rushers with the athleticism. <laughs> of Famous the, last words. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, we might look made them make them look a little faster. But you know, that was the old staff that used to make some middling guys look fantastic. Well, you, you know, here's the thing. I think when Virginia Tech got beat against Miami. You know, they just get they got physically beat. I mean, I remember in the past when Virginia Tech's offensive line couldn't block, and a lot of so many times it was just because they couldn't pick up a simple stunt, and you'd have two or three Virginia Tech offensive linemen just kind of standing there, We're blocking lo- looking at each other, <laughs> and and what you know, just no clue where where the blitz is coming from, where the stun or twist is coming from. Now I think they're mentally prepared. I mean, they just got physically beaten against Miami. Well, the the main thing that Virginia Tech's defense had to do was limit Miami's big plays, and they. They didn't do that. Miami had 13 plays of 10 or 10 yards or more, and they had four plays of 36 yards or more. Yes, and uh, that that was I'm trying to remember. That was kind of a variety of plays. Uh, you know, Malik Rozier up the middle. They were. They I mean the, the Travis the, Homer uh, up the middle. I, I believe there was a um, in in terms of yards of 10 or more plays. It was seven of one and six of the other in terms of run and pass. So they were very balanced in that. Yeah, and I I thought, you know, did the two plays that really hurt Virginia Tech were missed tackles when uh, Chris Herndon, the tight end, got out to the perimeter and Reggie Floyd didn't get to him. And that was directly after Reggie Floyd's personal foul. <laughs> Reggie Floyd's play that was called a personal yeah. foul. And I think the other one was what, uh, Travis Homer up the middle when uh, – I believe so. You know, when when the middle just got vacated by the linebackers. And, and – you know, everybody rags on Andrew Matuapulaka, and, and I didn't think it was a, a good game on his part. Uh, on the homer play, he went with the flow, got trapped behind a blocker, and just, you know, vacated the middle, and homer went right up the middle. But what was everybody's gap responsibility? I don't know, you know. but It's always uh, harder to, to determine those things unless you're, you know, in that coaching staff and in that meeting. Brandon room. Patterson wrote a good article about that for us yesterday, and – from what he tells, and he makes he makes a good argument that it wasn't Matua Puaka's fault. It was one of those guys that responded to uh, the H-back going in motion, and, and that was kind of a read option play. And you basically had three or four guys going towards the quarterback. And, and, and I, I thought out of I thought out of those three guys, it looked like Tim Settle might be the one who made the mistake. Mm-hmm. If Settle had gone to the other side, he would have met Homer in the hole mm-hmm. and put him down, you know, one yard behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, so it's hard to say without knowing people's gap responsibilities. But uh, the the fact of the matter is, Virginia Tech, whenever they have given up yardage this year, it's been via the big play. When that's the only way anybody's been. Yeah, able we knew to that going in. Yeah, we knew that going in. I ran the I ran the numbers for my article on Sunday, and I forget exactly what they are off the top of my head, but I think it was something like 53 of Miami's 58 plays, they gained 287 yards. And then the rest, which was uh, something like 100, 
about 200 about, about 200 yards uh off of just five other off plays. of just five other plays yeah. so for 53 plays the virginia tech defense was fine so you know i ran the numbers i think virginia tech had 12 or 13 plays of over 10 yards but they didn't do nearly as much damage did mm-hmm. they nope this is the second game this season that Tech has, has played on primetime, ABC, APM, national primetime slot, and they've looked pretty pretty poor for the second Out, time. Outmatched. Yeah. yeah, yeah, outmatched. Does that worry you at all that, that, that Tech has not even been able to be remotely competitive in these two games? To, to me, it's very simple. I, I think Virginia Tech's coaching staff is excellent. Um, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to use the word elite when you talk about Bud Foster about the offensive staff, and about the special teams coordinator, James Shebus. I think the coaching staff is very, very good. And a good coaching staff will elevate an undermanned team into that position where you just run into somebody who's just too much better Mm -hmm. than you are from a Jimmy's and Joe's standpoint. And I think that's what Virginia Tech's encountering right now. You can load up Lane Stadium and and do enter Sandman until your head's about to explode. But if you can't match up, if you can't tackle – the, uh, Kelly Bryant, you're going to lose. You know, if you can't stop the big play against Miami, you're going to lose. So for me, it's just, you know, I, Tech fans are probably getting tired of hearing us say this, but just give it time. Give it some time for them to get the recruiting classes in here. And I said in my article on Monday that last season, I think there were just there were just two or three key players that I think masked Tech's deficiencies. Gerard Evans got criticized for being a one-read-and-run guy. But boy, when it ran, he was really good, wasn't he? And he was he was a competitor, man. When he got cranked up, he kind of took the whole team with him. And Isaiah Ford is a guy they could really use this year mm-hmm. because he'd be on the outside. He'd be doing his Isaiah Ford thing, getting a bunch of catches. Cam Phillips would be in the slot, and this would be a much more potent passing attack. Yeah, you couldn't man you know? up on Cam in the slot. So those three guys, Bucky and, and those two guys, go pro early and – Man, it really it really set the offensive uh, operation back because they're all so young, but the coaching staff is so good that I think it tends to. Um, uh, I think I think the phrase I used was was elevate the team to a level above where you would expect them to be talent wise. Yeah, and it's really frustrating that those guys left. Gerard Evans is on a practice squad in Green Bay, but let's face it, the only reason he's on a practice squad is called is because Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone. He didn't get signed until after Aaron Rodgers got hurt. Uh, Bucky Hodges isn't anywhere. The guy got cut off the Panthers practice squad recently, even though Olsen's been hurt, right? Yep. Uh, So, I mean, Bucky's just not an NFL football player. Certainly not right now. And Isaiah Ford has been to more Virginia Tech games than Miami Dolphins games because he's hurt. Yeah. Uh, So it's, it's very, very frustrating that all those players seemingly made bad decisions. I mean, and we knew Evans made a bad decision. I didn't know that Bucky made a bad decision, but I thought Bucky made a bad decision. Uh, I actually thought Ford made a decent decision, but, you know, he barely got drafted, and then he got hurt. Uh, So it's really frustrating seeing those guys who all declared early just doing nothing right now when they could all be really helping Virginia Tech. Now, I'm not sure they would have made much of a difference in the Clemson game, but, you know, in that Miami game, those guys might have made a difference. even if you don't include Bucky in that group, if you have Isaiah on the outside, you have Cam on the outside, and you put Sean Savoy in the slot, that's a relatively good group of, of receivers there, right? Yeah. Right, it is. And, and if you've got Isaiah Ford out there, you know, you're not— He's going to have to draw— you You're know, not, not going to be man in press coverage against, against Ford all the time because he can actually beat that type of coverage and, and make plays in the air, as we saw in the, in the pit game last year. So— um. I, it just it changes Miami's game plan completely. So, by the way, let's get back to that previous topic of discussion of matching the other team's intensity. Talking about that Pittsburgh game last year, uh, there, there's a there's a video clip, and I think we've referenced this before, of Justin Fuente coming over when that game was a pitched battle, late second, early third quarter, coming over and telling his offense. They, meaning the Pittsburgh defense, they're not going to stop doing what they're doing. We're not going to stop doing what our what we're doing. Just go out and make the plays. Players love that stuff. Damn right, yeah. coach. Let's go, man. Just put it up there. I'll go get it. You know, and and that was a situation where Tech felt comfortable with the talent and the matchup mm-hmm. to be that aggressive. And that 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 brings forth all that energy and that aggressiveness. That, that that's a big part of football. To 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 give an example of how limited Virginia Tech is at wide receiver. 
you know, James Clark missed three or four weeks earlier this season with a broken bone or a fractured bone in his hand. And he's playing with his hand taped up right now, I believe. Playing! Virginia Tech is relying on a guy who's not even recovered from a broken hand. All right, you have to use your hands to catch the football. All right, that's, do you really? That, that that's how limited. Bucky says you don't. But Bucky. Says oh you don't. man. man. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> and you, I was, I was, I, say I was same not. Thing. I was. I, I was going to leave it right, alone. Right. I wasn't going to say. Back, it. I hope back, Bucky doesn't listen to this. Back to this season. All right. So that's how limited Virginia Tech is offensively. When they got to play a guy who's basically got a broken hand at wide receiver. I mean, think about that, people. That's like playing a running back with a fractured foot or something. It's it's just it's not going to work, but they just don't have any other options. There is one remaining question I want to ask about this Miami game, and then we'll go ahead and move on. And I say it half-jokingly and half-seriously. Is DU back? Is is Miami finally back now? Well, I think Mark Richt brings them a level of a legitimacy that they've never had before. They've won 13 games for a reason. I think there are certain things they lack. I mean, I don't think Rozier's a very good quarterback. Um, I mean, the guy completed, again, uh, Virginia Tech held an opponent to under 50% passing. Virginia Tech held an opponent under 50% passing, and, and he lost. threw three interceptions, and they lost. And I don't lost. think that's happened since... Uh, Not only did they lose, they lost by 18 right. points. Uh, uh, exactly. That's that's nuts. I don't think they've lost a game like that since that Duke game in 2013 when uh, the Duke quarterback threw four interceptions, but Logan Thomas responded by also throwing four interceptions. <laughs> but, but that was a 13-10 to 10 game. Yeah. Um, you know that, that and that was really the shocking part of this game is it's not it's not like Miami went out and played great football. I mean they tur- they threw the ball to Virginia Tech three times. The they almost turned the, almost a fourth time. Go back to my goal line play when they threw to Rozier for the second time on that drive. Yeah. They fum- There were two fumbles that both of which bounced, bounced, bounced right off the turf game. into Miami's hands. Uh, you know, so it's not like Miami went out and played great. I mean, I think Miami is a good football team. But I think to reach elite status, you know, they need a couple of more recruiting classes, and and they need a better quarterback. I think Josh Jackson's a better quarterback than Malik Rozier. I I just think Rozier has more dudes. I mean, Rozier throws that ball over the middle earlier in the game to Berrios. Berrios is getting WWE body slammed by 220-pound Terrell Edmonds up in the – like, way up in the air. I mean, Berrios' head is probably eight feet in the air. He catches the ball in midair while a guy 40 pounds heavier than him is slamming him to the turf, and he catches it. Meanwhile, Virginia Tech receivers are running open over the middle of the field with Miami players not even touching them, and they're dropping the football. I mean, you got to have dudes who can go up and get the football. I mean, that, that's that's just the way it is. Miami's offense kind of reminds me of my friend who plays Madden, and he just kind of throws it deep all the time and takes all these, all these chances <laughs> on Madden, and, and he's going to throw his picks. But man, he's going to have some big plays, and that's sure sure what Miami. I did. bet he goes for it on fourth down a bunch, doesn't? He? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, he does. Yeah. Let's go ahead and move on from the Miami game. I, the the kind of the big broad topic I want to talk about this week is, and we haven't got gotten to talk about it yet, uh, because we've had um, some recruiting stuff we wanted to talk about, and then obviously the Miami game last week. There was a whole discussion around that. If you haven't listened to the last episode, go listen to it now, or not now, but after this podcast. Um, the the thing I want to talk about was the coaching salary database. That came out from USA Today a couple weeks ago. Um, the USA Today does a great job with this. They they file public records requests with all of these pub, uh, public universities. I think there might be a couple private universities that voluntarily submit this information, but most of them don't. Uh, so the, the database is somewhat incomplete where you do have a lot of gaps in terms of all these private schools. But this database is about as good as it gets in terms of figuring out where coaches rank in salary, what their buyouts are, base pay, all of that good stuff. So this came out, um, and if you haven't read Chris's article on this uh, already, go ahead and read that after this. It's a, it does a great job of kind of breaking stuff down. Justin Fuente ranks 33rd among coaches who have a, a salary that's of public record. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm going to name some of these names that he's behind. He's behind some of these guys, and, and I want you to kind of just – comment on how odd this is. So Justin Fuente makes less per year than Rich Rodriguez at Arizona, Brett Bilema at Arkansas, Butch Jones at Tennessee, Bobby Petrino at Louisville, Mark Stoops at Kentucky, Jim Mora at UCLA, Daniel Holgerson at West Virginia, who Tech beat, Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech, P.J. Fleck at Minnesota, who's a first-year head coach, mm-hmm. Jeff Brom at Purdue, who's a first-year head coach, 
and Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. Yeah. Who did you leave out? You left out Bronco Mendenhall. That's he right. I did. I did leave out Bronco Mendenhall, and, and that was not by purpose. It was an accident. But Justin Fuente makes less than all of these guys. I, I think. And and I mean, how much of a better coach is he than than these guys? Oh, much better. I mean, the, 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 the only names on this list that I would consider being on remotely the same level would maybe be PJ Fleck. We'll see. And it's it's still early, but Minnesota looks like they're you know maybe turning the corner. But he did a good job at Western Michigan. Um, Rich Rod, maybe Rich Rod always coaches in places where you can't recruit. Uh, <laughs> it kind of seems like that, doesn't I mean, it? It's it's the truth. Uh, like in areas where you where you can't recruit, like in Arizona and West Virginia, you can't. Recruit in Michigan, it. well, Michigan Michigan wasn't his fault. There, you got to read that book, uh, Three and Out. It's a great read. But anyway. Uh, well, I'll give you an example. Like Minnesota, Tech fans probably don't realize this. Your average Tech fan, because Minnesota historically doesn't have a good football program, but Minnesota has over a hundred million dollars in revenue. Their athletic department each year. Virginia Tech's revenue uh, last fiscal year, or the 2015-16 fiscal year, was at 82 million. Okay. So Virginia Tech does not have as much money as Minnesota. Virginia Tech is one of the bottom is in the bottom half, probably the bottom third of all Power Five conference in terms teams of revenue. In terms of athletic department revenue, yeah, um, it's uh, of forty five. Excuse me, of fifty five charted schools, Virginia Tech was number forty two. Right there, you go. So I mean, Virginia Tech doesn't have money. Uh, Virginia Tech ran in the red the last reported fiscal year. Not by a lot, but a little bit. By a couple million, or, or maybe one point five million. That's the first like that. time they've ran in the red in a, since in a, in a long time. Yeah, because guess what? We had to pay a lot of money for Justin Fuente. We're paying him a half a million more than we paid Frank Beamer. We're paying his coaching staff more than we paid Beamer's coaching staff. Bud Foster's making a million dollars now. We're paying Buzz Williams' coaching staff about five times what they paid James Johnson's coaching staff. They, Maybe they, they, more they've than that. really increased the right, support right, right. staff and assistant staff right. there. So, and if you listen to the numbers you just heard, Tech is number 42 out of 55 Power 5 schools, and yet their coach is number 33 in pay. Right. So they're actually paying, they're, they're punching above their weight class as Correct. far as paying the football coach. Right. Whereas a school like UVA, because UVA has more sports than Virginia Tech. Uh, and they donate so much resources to their Olympic sports. Uh, even though Bronco Mendenhall, uh, you know, makes a little more than Fuente from a percentage standpoint of how much revenue they bring in, he's actually making a little less. So, so Virginia Tech, I mean, from a pure numbers standpoint, is not invest in investing quite as much money as say, you know, Minnesota's investing in in PJ Fleck. But from a percentage of revenue standpoint, they are investing more. So uh, to to put exact numbers on it, Minnesota's twenty sixteen revenue was one hundred and thirteen million. So that and Virginia Tech, as Chris told you, was uh, uh, where'd they go? Eighty three point seven million. So, so Minnesota makes thirty million dollars. Minnesota, Minnesota, Big Ten Network, baby. Right, right. And I, and I, I know Tech fans they 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 get tired of hearing us say that say this on the show, but. You know, Tech needs money. I mean, they need their supporters to donate as much money to the Hokie Club as possible because the only way to compete with teams like Clemson and Florida State long-term is, is by catching up with them in the revenues. And, and, and right now, now Virginia Tech, we don't know the newest numbers for Virginia Tech because yeah. they rolled out the, the reseeding and, 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 the, and the new Hokie scholarship. And they'll fund. get a lot better. Right, right. Man. They're, they're going to get a lot better. But how much better? We don't know yet. We'll have a better idea from, uh, you know, next year as far as. And, and what I always go back to on this donate more money thing is, Virginia Tech fans have no control over John Swafford's incompetence in not putting together an ACC network. Tell us how you really feel about John Swafford. <laughs> I, I, if you listen to this podcast, I I like to bring it up every week. Um, the, but the one thing Virginia Tech fans do have control over is how much they donate and how much of their own money they put into the program. Everything else is out of their control. Right. And let's say an ACC network brings in, let's say it brought in an extra $10 million for Virginia Tech. That would be great. Well, guess what? It's also going to bring in an extra $10 million for, for Florida Clemson State and Florida Clemson. State. It's not going right. to catch us up any to Florida State and Clemson. It will catch us up to Minnesota to a certain extent. But guess what? We'd still be $20 million behind Minnesota, yeah. even if it brought us an extra $10 million a year. I know that the Hokie Club has has really done a, a a huge made a huge push behind this drive for twenty five. They sponsor Tech Sideline. They they've done other advertising efforts. Um, Will are you seeing early signs of success so far with this? And and, and just kind of how, again, how important is it that Tech can compete in this group so that way if 
a school like a TCU down the road or a school like a Oklahoma down the road comes to double Justin Fuente's salary, they can at least compete. When I talk to the Hokie Club people, they are guardedly optimistic. Um, they are, you know, they want to get to 25,000 members at the end of the most recent year, their fiscal year, which is June 30th. I think they were at 13,700. That was a pretty big increase over the year before. The year before, I think it was about 11,000. So they added a lot of people in that first year. Their goals from, from now on, you know, for this year, for example, they hope by the end of this uh, fiscal year, June 30th, to be at 15,000 members. That's not a huge jump, and that's actually uh, uh, optimistic is the word I'm looking for. It's, it's uh, aggressive. Um, so they're talking about adding 500 to 1,000 people a year. That's going to take you a long time to reach 25,000. And, you know, we've in, in, a, in a lot of articles and things, we've kind of beat this horse to death. It, it involves a culture change, you know, and, and getting people – they talk about this all the time, you know. Uh, in the past, it was always donate money and you can get better seats and better parking. That doesn't mean anything to a guy in California who doesn't buy season tickets and maybe comes to one game every three or four years. Or the guy in Texas or the guy in, you know, Oklahoma or whatever. So they're trying to get those tech alumni to get on board and give even though they're not going to get any personal benefits out of it. So, um it's, it's tough sledding and it's slow progress, uh, but, you know, it's good to see the focus on it and, and it's turning the ocean liner around. Yeah, it's like, but you can't turn that ocean liner around overnight. It takes you know, a long it's, time. It takes a long time. Um, and, and one thing I'll point out is that Virginia Tech did break a fundraising record last year for the athletic department. I forget what the exact number was. They, they ended up in, in total money brought in. They ended up somewhere between 31 and 33 million. And that's the first time they've ever broken the 30 million. That's, that's the first time they've broken, I think, 25, 25 or 26 million. Right, right exactly. Yeah. So they set a new record. So And they set a new record by a lot. And I think this, fi- this athletic department is in much better shape financially than it was the last time the numbers got reported, which was 15, 16 fiscal year. Now, that being said, uh, it's kind of, yeah, it's a new record, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like Nebraska's number one receiver setting Nebraska's receiving record after Tom Osborne and Mike Solich retired, yeah. you know? They've never thrown the ball before, so of course that or next guy. It's kind of like uh, quarterbacks breaking passing records at Virginia, Virginia Tech. Tech. <laughs> that, that, that's right. I mean, we're we're seeing quarterbacks breaking passing records and wide receivers breaking reception records every year now. It'll be a second year in a row, right? right. So it's 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 this is it's new ground. Uh, so it's a step in the right direction, but there is a long way to go. Outside of increased donations and getting the ACC network finally off the ground, what's the other thing that Virginia Tech needs to get fixed? That won't be fixed for five to six years. That Nike apparel deal. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that's a whole other. If topic. you have not read Will Stewart's really in-depth and really comprehensive piece Just on that, Google Virginia Tech's Nike deal, and it'll be the top. Hit. Exactly. Yeah, go read that. It's a great read, and it'll really give you an idea of kind of how all of that came about, and and what about that deal makes it so bad. But but even if it was a good deal. It would, uh, uh, Sorry to make it sound this way. It would only be another one to three million dollars a year. But I mean, that helps, doesn't it? It would help, yes, but it wouldn't close that thirty million dollar gap with uh, Minnesota. Sure, 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 definitely. But I mean, if, if it, considering the fact the ACC network, we don't know how much money that's going to bring in. Yeah, the fact that if you could get another two million out of yeah, Nike, I don't, I don't mean to minimize. And, and, it, and the thing, or we don't, we don't know the details of some of these other schools' Nike deals or whatever. I mean, we know that we know how much money it's worth. We know. We also know exactly how much Louisville's Adidas deal was worth, right? Turns out a ton Tur- of it was going directly to all Rick of Patino. it was going to Patino. Yeah, that's crazy. So I mean, the school wasn't. Man. I mean, the school's actually their athletic department is running in the red while their athletic director makes all these crazy that bonuses. Athletic department and and Patino's making Lord knows how much off their Adidas deal, and they're yeah. actually running in the red. I mean. How do those people wake up in the morning and look themselves in the mirror? I mean, that that's ridiculous. Probably with a stripper, right? Sorry. Okay, let's, go ahead and, let's go ahead and move on to Georgia Tech. Obviously, this is a really important game. I wrote this in the game preview for TSL. If you have not read the game preview, make sure you read that as well after you're done listening to the podcast. To me, this is kind of a statement game for the Hokies. This is a game where you just got punched in the mouth for the second time this year against the team who as we now know, has a chance to go maybe you know be in the college football playoff. Tech's not there yet, but Tech can go win 10 games for the second time in two seasons. 
Yeah. And before that, when was the last time they won 10 games, 2011? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so they have this. They have a chance to do something that hasn't been done really a lot around Blacksburg. And they have a chance to go to a really good bowl. Exactly. They have a chance to go to the uh, the bowl in Atlanta on New Year's. Yeah, the, a, the a Peach Florida Bowl. Bowl. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jerry Palm's got him projected to the Peach Bowl right now, which they can do if they want out. Is it called the Peach Bowl now? What's it's, it called? It's still called the Peach. Oh, we're talking Bowl. about well, one of the New Year's Six Bowls. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not the Chick Fil A Bowl anymore. It's back right. to be. It's back to be in the Peach Bowl. The I'm Citrus sure. Bowl is still in play. Maybe. Yeah. Probably not as much as it was, but. Uh, Bottom line is we got a chance to go somewhere warm for bowl season. I'm sure Will would love to send me to Florida once again. <laughs> but <laughs> let's go back to this game. Obviously, the Yellow Jackets. You know, coming into the season, I thought that Georgia Tech had a chance to be a pretty good team. I Actually, I know David Teal, who uh, writes for the Daily Press, he picked Georgia Tech to win the Coastal coming into the season. Obviously, they're not at that point. They are not bowl eligible at this point. They're 4-4. Four and four. They lost to UVA last week. Um what about Georgia Tech has really happened that's kind of derailed them in terms of what we saw their preseason expectations to be? I don't think their quarterback's very good. You know, last year their quarterback completed over 53% of his passes. This year their quarterback is completing less than 42% of his passes. So you're talking about 11 or 12% difference. And 11, 12% difference is a lot. I mean, when you don't throw the ball all, all, all that much uh, and you rely on on big plays down the field is pretty much your entire pass passing uh, play. So basically, they're 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 getting ten per, ten or eleven percent, twelve percent fewer big plays out of their passing game than they were last year, and that's a significant part of their offense. I don't know. I know they don't throw the ball very much, but when they do throw it, it's generally been set up by by a previous run action, and it goes for a big play, and that has been missing from their offense this year. How difficult is it to prepare for the triple option? You guys have you guys have watched Paul Johnson for years. You, you've obviously seen this offense before. Just how ha- and, and I'm going to have a story coming on this later in the week. How just difficult is it to to make sure that you're staying disciplined? And you're not cheating up too much. Well, the single biggest, most difficult part about preparing for it is that you you can simulate it with your scout team, but not nearly to, to the degree of the speed and Definitely. the talent that Georgia Tech, who runs it all the time, has. So there's always that factor of when the game starts, your players, particularly younger guys who have never played against it, they know what to do, but they haven't been acclimated to the, the to real game speed yet. So there's always half a quarter or a quarter where they need to kind of kind of get that part under their belts. And then this week, it's ex, it's extra difficult because, as been well documented, the football team didn't get home till the middle of the afternoon Sunday. Yeah, and they have to travel down to Georgia Tech to play this game. They so. only beat me back to Blacksburg by a couple hours, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they left immediately after the yeah. game. <laughs> so they have shortened their prep time by what a day on one okay. end, and a travel day on the other end. Yeah, because you you figure that they always practice on Sunday, and Sunday's kind of a, a bit of a light practice, but they do they do practice. some preparation for the next week's opponent on Sundays, and they always have their off day on Monday. Instead, this Sunday, all they did was lift a little bit and then get the guys in for treatment, you know, get them worked on by the sports medicine staff, and they sent them home. So you're right. They are missing out on some of the, the that planning phase. Yeah. Um, I should have put this in my game preview today, but I didn't because, you know, we don't like those things to be too awful long because people get bored reading after a while. But uh, if you look at the tech defense all over the field, Mahota started against this offense last year. Uh, Settle – and uh, Walker maybe didn't start against it last year, but, but they, they played, played significant it. snaps. And Walker's played against it twice now, actually. And Mahota's played played against it, I guess, twice now. Trevon Hill played against it last year. This will be Matu Puaka's third or fourth time starting against it. Mook, Tremaine. Mook, Mook will be in his second year starting against it. Tremaine's Tremaine will first be in start his, in his career was against, was against Georgia, Georgia Tech. Tech. So this is actually his third year starting against the Georgia Tech offense. This will be Terrell Edmonds' third year starting against the Georgia Tech offense. Brandon Faison has played Brandon Faison is, is a fifth-year senior Stroman. who started against it every year. And he's from the area. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, you know, this will be Stroman's second or third year really starting and playing a lot on defense against this. Uh, Adonis's second or third year as a starter against this offense. The the only inexperienced guy that's never faced this offense before is Reggie Floyd. And he's a guy who's, who's a good tackler when he's coming up in support in the running game. So when you think about it, I mean, this Tech defense is a good matchup, in my opinion, because of their experience level against the Georgia Tech offense. Another thing that we didn't hit on the game preview, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, 
Virginia Tech's defensive line is thin, obviously. We, we all know that. We've talked about that, and we've, and we've, we've hit on that a lot. Uh, those guys have not played. The, those backups have not played against Georgia Tech. Right, yep. If, if it gets to the point where Georgia Tech starts running a lot of plays and it gets really, really you know physical and tough and rugged down in, in the trenches and you start having to play guys like Jared Hewitt Emmanuel Belmar, House Gaines, maybe a Jimmy Taylor. I saw Xavier. Darius I think Xavier Burke's actually the fourth defensive tackle now. I saw him on he the might field be. against Miami I, at one point. Yeah, they, they've been kind of very coy about who the fourth guy is, and I think part of it's just because they don't know <laughs> who the fourth guy is. Yeah. But how worried are you about that? Because all it takes is for one of those guys that's never played against this before mm-hmm. to well, get that, out that, of gap. That's and big next trouble. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but having said that. Um, one of the great things, one of the good things about, I won't say great, one of the good things about the Georgia Tech offense is they don't run at a high tempo. No, they um, don't. They, they tend to true. take a lot of time during plays. I think what you worry about more than, than your guys getting tired, uh, sometimes Georgia Tech puts together long drives and you do get tired no matter what. But I think you worry about injury more with than anything block. else with, yeah. the, with the cut blocking. Yeah, um, I think so too. I think, I think that's right. I'm not worried as much about depth in this game, although I am worried about it. I do think Tech is fresh right now. I mean, Miami, I mean, my gosh, they put up over 400 yards and scored 28 they points. They only ran 58 plays. They only ran plays. 58 plays, and that, that's another thing. My goodness. Tech forced three <laughs> interceptions. The quarterback completed fewer than 50% of his passes, and Miami only ran 58 plays. And I, they won by God, 18. if you told me that before the game, I would have said Virginia Tech won the game by 18. Yeah, you'd have blown I mean, a lot that, of money on the bookie, right? That, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's, that's just ridiculous. But at any rate. Virginia, Speaking of the bookie, the, the, the line on that game, how much that moved – it, it, towards you know, towards wait, Friday and Saturday, Tech was a three point favorite at one point, one time. Oh, and and by, by the time the line closed, it was two and a half. Two Miami. and a half to Miami. It's like what? What did Vegas find out? My my friend, not my friend, somebody on Twitter told me that apparently there were what they call sharps. I guess I don't know. I'm not familiar with that all that stuff. But apparently, some some smart people with some big money came in and they all bet on Miami. Mm. And Vegas had to adjust the line in order to get their their money their money right the money balanced. Yeah, they, once Vegas sets a line, if they move it, they're just responding to the bets. And see, that that's are being the thing. Placed. If you get all those big bets on Miami, yeah, what are they what are they finding out that no one else knows? Yeah, that's a good. Do they find out that uh, Nijman wasn't going to play? But then again, we all knew that kind of coming in. Not everybody we? knew that because Virginia Tech just listed its question. Well, you and me know that because we cover Virginia Tech for a living. That's true. But Joe Blow in Nevada betting on the game sees the injury report, and it says Nijman questionable. Or if they didn't even watch the Duke game, they didn't. They don't even know he's really – they don't even know he's hurt per se. But from everything I understand, he's not going to play the rest of the season. But he's going to continue to get listed as questionable probably because that's how Virginia Tech rolls. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw him on Tuesday uh, when I was in Blacksburg for interviews that we always do on Tuesday. And he was, all, he was out of the crutches, but it was in a boot. So it wouldn't shock me if he doesn't play this week. But I, it would also would not shock me if we see him maybe against Pittsburgh. I have a source in the program that says he has a fracture in his leg or a break or something like well, that. Well, there you go. And that he's done You heard for the it season, here first, definitely. folks. It was the same guy that told me C.J. Carroll uh, probably wasn't had a, Had some sort of major foot injury. Yes, exactly. He hasn't played since Right, then. right. And it's just now coming out that it's, oh, it's not some little sprained foot that kept coming. This is a chronic issue. Uh, and the same guy is telling me this about Nijman, so I trust him at this point. Sounds, sounds good. The only the other thing I wanted to talk about Georgia Tech was their defense. We haven't hit on that a lot. I think Georgia Tech. Well, let's do one more thing about their offense. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, go ahead. Chris, in doing his research for the game preview, noticed that they haven't been running their a backs very much. The a backs are the yes, guys yes, that go wide true. and take the pitch. So it appears that their quarterback Taquan is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, I, I believe it's Taquan Marshall. Taquan Marshall. Um, they're relying on the b back up the middle and on Marshall keeping the football a lot. If that's the case, Bud's seen this on film, and he's going to scheme for it. And, uh, you know, Bud knows the strengths and weaknesses of Reggie Floyd, Andrew Matua-Pawaka, his defensive tackles. Uh, I think Tech's defensive game plan will be sound. You know, if they sit there and decide to, to run their, their quarterback and their B-back into Tim Settle and Ricky Walker all day long, I'll, I'll consider that a success for Virginia Yeah, Tech. Bud Bud's going to want to force Marshall yeah. a pitch, and then yeah. it could get dicey for Georgia yeah. Tech. I, I also like – I feel a good game coming on for Mook. He's the, like the type of player who gets out there in space on the edge and, and makes tackles like he did on Miami's fourth down call down down yeah. on the goal line. Yep. So uh, I feel a good game coming from Mook this week too. Virginia Tech surely could use it because obviously, as we know, Virginia Tech lost this game last year inside of Lane Stadium. Tech had a chance to clinch the Coastal Division 
and they did not. They lost thirty to twenty. Am I correct on that? Thirty to twenty. Yeah, it was twenty to nothing. Georgia Tech. Yeah, at it was, yeah, it was not that close. Let's go ahead and move on to the over unders portion of the podcast. And obviously, last week it was a, a, a bit of another boring segment. Unfortunately, we, we we all agreed on the first one. So the first one was the number of turnovers by Tech. I set that at a half. Wow. I need to be reevaluated for my job. <laughs> Virginia Tech had four turnovers in this game. But they only they game. only had one. Like like the Savoy fumble right before halftime was was critical. Tech didn't remember one of Tech's turnovers came over came really, really late in the game. That was the last drive. That was yeah. and that the was, other the other was wasn't that when Jackson was hit from behind he was sacked? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah and and so. that's when he might have and, and there's a rumor going around that Jackson's elbow might be a little Sore as well because sure he, he was holding it after the game. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it is. So three of Tech's four turnovers came in situations where they were pressing, where they were playing from yeah. behind and really trying to come back. And that Savoy fumble, I think, really uh, kind of ended yeah, the ended so. Tech's chances. Uh, I think when we made those projections last week, when you said it at a half, we didn't project Virginia Tech playing from behind yeah, the entire game. I, I certainly didn't think that would happen. Yeah. So, but we all took the over on that still, so we all got a point there. And then the next was Virginia Tech team rushing yards at 180. Remember, Miami was averaging 179 yards allowed on the ground. Tech was averaging 180 yards rushing on the ground, so I figured that was a good place to set that. Will took the under smartly. Chris took the over. Sorry. Just to be different. (laughs) Yeah, just to be different. And then I took the under as well. So I actually went 2-0, I think, for the first time so far this season. Will, you're still in the lead at 11-3. and You're kind of running away with it at this point. Chris is at 8-6, and six, and I'm back to 8-6. and six. So Chris and I are kind of duking it out for second place. Let's go ahead and move on to this week. Uh, the, the first one I want to do is number of completions by Taquan Marshall. George, he has struggled all season. He's completing uh, less than 42% of his passes. Um, Tech is obviously allowing under a forty under fifty percent completion percentage, defensively correct. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it would not shock me at all if we don't see several or see many completions in this game. So Chris, we'll go ahead and start with you. Over under at four and a half. I'm glad you start. I'm glad Take-Kwan you started Marshall. with me, so I can say under. Because if he had said under, <laughs> I would have had to go over just to give myself a chance to catch up. But I still should do it anyway because he's going to pick under. But yes, yeah, I am. Yeah. So there you go, both under. Not going to catch up any. Well, in last year's game, they were only two of seven, for example. Yeah, and they won, and they scored thirty points, which is really crazy if you think about it. What What was the game this past weekend? Army beat Air Force, and it's the first time a team has won a game by twenty one points without completing a pass or something in, in like college that. football yeah. history. Yeah. yeah, you know, I really want to take the over on this just to be different. It's four and a half. You it's, should. You're telling me he's not going to complete five passes? But but see, that's the thing. He hasn't done it that yeah, exactly. much this year. Exactly. I they completed two or three last week or, or against Miami or something like Justin that. Justin Fuente had a uh, – Justin Fuente was talking about how this Georgia Tech offense can still be explosive. And he was talking about in one of the games this year, Georgia Tech was running uh, a, a sort of run play, and then ten plays later they ran a play action off of that same look. Mm-hmm. And Taquan Marshall threw an interception on the play. But he had a guy running wide open right. down the middle of the field. And is if, if the coach is saying that about an opposing quarterback that week, I just don't have a lot of confidence in Taekwondo. I, I agree. I mean, George Tech's offense is not broken. The system is not broken. But, you know, Marshall has certainly not picked it up. He's not seeing the field well. He's not making his reads well. So, uh, I mean, under's the obvious pick. Unless you want to catch up to Will, well, in which case you got to take chances. I think, why don't you set it to three and a half? No, I'm, well, no too I, late. No, it's too late. I'm going to go All ahead right. and go under as well. I'd still go under if you set it three and a half. Well, I'm going to go with under. So I think right. so. We're all going to go under okay. there. I, I'd right. still go under. So let's set it to twelve. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, we'll have a little bit of uh, variance here with the number of possessions for Virginia Tech. As we all know, George Tech is third in the nation in time of possession. They're very good at grinding out the clock and just kind of holding on to the ball, holding on to the ball and really minimizing what you can do offensively in terms of number of opportunities. Um, Will, you told us before we went on air here at the podcast that um, since Paul Johnson was hired at Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech has averaged 11.8 possessions per game against P.J. Now, let's be clear. This includes kneel downs at at the first half and at the end of the game. Every single possession that gets logged in the box score is counted. Yes, and but but you did say also that that number has been increasing since PJ was hired. Yeah, the first three games Virginia Tech had ten, eleven, and ten possessions. 
And in the most recent three games, they've been up around 13, 14 possessions. So it is trending up. I think that's because Virginia Tech throws the ball a lot more these days, which which leads to more clock stoppage. So I'm going to go ahead and set the over-under here at 12.5 possessions for this game for Virginia Tech's offense. Uh, Chris, let's go to you first as well. Mm. Man, that's that's hard. Uh, I'll, I'll go under. I'll go be. I think it'll be right at twelve. Will, I'm gonna go over. I'm putting my faith in Virginia Tech's defense to force some short possessions. See, that's not smart. I could potentially gain a point on you now. Well, I gotta give you a chance, man. I can't. I can't just sit around picking the same way you pick. <laughs> now, see what we re- we really ought to start doing is like it's just blind like picks, blind blind picks. Like we uh. all submit our answers in paper form to Ricky. That way, we can't be sitting here back and forth saying, "I don't believe this is going to happen," but I'm just trying to catch up to Will. See, see, those of you that listen to the podcast every week, you're you're watching this thing grow and develop while you're while you're listening. Yeah, yeah, it's secret ballot style, and then Ricky could read out our picks online. <laughs> Maybe we do need to do that next week Uh, i'm gonna go with the over as well i'm gonna agree with will and i'm gonna disagree with chris uh i'm not confident in georgia tech's ability to maintain possession in this game i don't know if they're going to be able to consistently convert on those those third those third downs and even some fourth downs which chris as you noted in the office earlier today uh they are not um going for fourth down as much as they have well not as much as i well i don't think that's accurate now that i actually went back and looked at last year's stats but Still, I don't. If they do go for it on fourth, I don't think they would do it with as much confidence as as they would have in the past. So at least I wouldn't if they were if I were them. Makes sense. All right, folks, that's all the time we have for this episode of the TSL podcast. Remember, if you have not read Chris Coleman's game preview for the Virginia Tech Georgia Tech game, hey, wait a minute, you got to do our predictions. Oh man, Chris, we do. Chris, Chris and I picked twenty four to twenty. Yeah, I think is this the first time we've ever picked the same score? It's been a long time. Uh, we we tend to pick in the neighborhood of each other. And this but... is the thirteenth season that, that we've been doing game reviews together. Yep. And yep. that's the first time you guys have picked the same. Exact I don't know score? about the first. I don't know if it's but first, but it's it's not more than the I second remember. or third. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but we're generally very very close in our score. Picks. So, I, so we, we pick Virginia Tech to win twenty four twenty. I'm picking Virginia Tech to win twenty four to fourteen. I don't know if Georgia Tech's going to have more than two drives that end in points. That's fair. Yeah. So, all right, now that we have gotten the predictions out of the way, that's all the time we have for this one. Like I was saying, remember, if you haven't read the game preview, go read that on TSA.com. It's got tons of stats, tons of information, and will really make you feel a little bit more intelligent about this game heading in if you don't watch Georgia Tech on a, on a normal basis. Also, myself and Ivan, our photographer, Russian Hokie, we will be in Atlanta on Saturday for the game. It's going to be a great atmosphere open-air press box. It's supposed to be kind of a a brisk, breezy, sunny day in Atlanta. Great skyline there outside the stadium. Really excited about that. And we'll see if Virginia Tech can get it done. This is a big game. Virginia Tech has a chance to get the 10 wins. Or if they lose this game, it could be a, a kind of a downturn for the Hokies. But until next week, that's all the time we have. And thanks for listening.